He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, it's going to be a, a kind of split show. So first, I'm recording this right now, right after the Lakers lose to the Milwaukee Bucks 109-102. to Tough one, you know. There were some stretches where you thought the Lakers uh, maybe could have taken advantage of some different spots and, uh, you know, walked away, stolen a win, per se. Uh, but then there were other stretches where you, you felt like the Lakers were just hanging on to the Tiger by the tail and and just seeing how the game would go because of how well Giannis was playing. Uh, so I'm going to you know give a couple thoughts on that game, where the Lakers are right now, and then throw to a really fun conversation that I had with Seth Partnow of The Athletic. So uh, we had a really fun conversation there. We talked about his time working with the Bucks, uh, how people think of analytics versus how they're actually put into place uh practically uh so we we and and then you know his thoughts on the lakers and russell westbrook and the bucks and and how we thought uh tonight might go so we'll get to that here in a bit let's go ahead though and and discuss this game where you know i i'm happy that the lakers were competitive and there is no such thing when you're uh when you're a, a championship contender or a team, especially one vying for playoff positioning the way that the Lakers are uh, and the way that they will be all year, there's no such thing as like the consolation prize, right? You got to win games when you have opportunities to win games. And and the Lakers didn't in this case. They had chances. They had a few shots that they, that they make, obviously normally might make, especially if you're playing at home. Look at the Lakers shooters in this one. Uh, Mello, two of eight from three-point range. Uh, you have Kemp Bazemore was was 0 for 3. Uh, you had Wayne Ellington, one of seven. Malik Monk, one of seven. Like You're just not going to win very many games if the guys that you designate as shooters are, <laughs> you know, not shooting very well. Uh, and then you're also not going to win very many games where your star gets just thoroughly outplayed by their star. You know, Anthony Davis goes for 18 points, nine boards, four assists, a couple blocks, uh, but he shoots nine of 15 from the floor and uh, 0 for 1 from three-point range. Didn't take a free throw in this one. And, you know, some of this was by design. Milwaukee was doing anything that they could to keep him out of the paint. But also, like, every team does whatever they can to keep Giannis out of the paint. And he's just relentless he just does not settle and I think uh when when you see AD shoot no free throws in the game that's him settling that's him taking mid-range jumpers and that's him kind of taking the easy way out and uh when you when you compare that to what Giannis did on the other end on, on, on you know in terms of the other side of that matchup 47 points for Giannis nine boards three assists a steal a block he goes eight of eleven from th- from the free throw line, three of four from three point range, which obviously is is an outlier kind of game for him. But he gets himself into a rhythm, and he's always a part of the game. And there's just some stretch, especially offensively, where you just kind of wondering, like, all right, when when's AD going to join us here? And and uh, you know, in this one, he got dinged up again. AD did, and obviously that's a source of frustration in and of itself for him. Uh, and so. You know, it's kind of difficult to do whatever you want to be able to do for 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 him. But I just I I I need more from AD. I just I just do. It's it might be unfair because of how much he has to do defensively. And whenever LeBron comes back, you know, AD will be able to slot himself in more of a a, a role that is more kind of in line with his approach to the game. He's a he's a second. He's a he's a Second option because of his, you know, sometimes there, sometimes not their approach to the game. And in this one, it really kind of showed like what a first option looks like in Giannis and, and then what it looks like when a second option tries to be an, a first option in AD. 
All right, I don't want to ramble for too much longer. I'm going to throw to the conversation that I had with Seth Partnow earlier today. It was a really fun one. Hope you guys stick around for all of it. And uh, and yeah, that's going to do it. Check out Lakers Lowdown, where I go a little bit deeper into this game and, and react to some of the quotes afterward uh, and give you the latest on LeBron. And then uh, tomorrow, Harrison and I are going to be recording, and, and we'll give more thoughts on, on all of this. I'm... I've been kind of curious about AD's kind of vibe, the vibe to AD this year, and I'm going to poke Harrison's brain and see if he's noticed some of the same things. So that's going to be tomorrow on Lakers Lounge. Uh, And then, you know, I'm also, I just finished recording The Pressure Cooker, the latest edition of it. Another great turnout for that one. Thank you guys a ton for, for tuning in for that. I'll be back in The Pressure Cooker again on Friday when the Lakers play Boston on ESPN, and when uh, LeBron hopefully comes back. So really fun week lined up for you guys moving forward. Let's go ahead and get to Seth. All right, we are joined now by Seth Partnow of The Athletic. He has a book that is already out called The Midrange Theory. You can get that anywhere that you get books, but he has told me that the best place to get it is actually directly through the publisher, uh, which is Triumph Books. I'm going to throw a link to that uh to that publisher both in the show description and in the pod post on silver screen and roll uh whenever when when this goes live formerly director director of basketball research for the milwaukee bucks and also currently advisor to the C- ceo of stats bomb seth thank you very much for hopping on and congratulations on the book and all the uh, on the uh, on the success thus far of the book it sounds like it's really flying off the shelves um I, I hope so, or or just every single person who has who has got a copy has uh, tweeted a picture of it at me, which is <laughs> which is fun. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's fun for it to be out there in the world. Um, it started to get feel real a couple of weeks ago when kind of my author copy showed up. It's like, hey, this is a physical object that it's exists. Wild. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of surreal to be honest. That's it's you know the the few people and now you know so you go through the stages of life uh, where first all your friends get you know significant others they move in with their significant others they uh, get married then they have kids and then now all my friends are writing books so <laughs> so seeing the 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 pictures that they get of like man I can't believe this is actually in my hand right now is it has been really really cool so again congratulations on all of that. Um, and, and I can't wait to read it. I, I, my, my own order, like I just said, is, is, uh, is already on its way. I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's going to sit right behind me. Actually, I gotta, I gotta get the books up behind me whenever, whenever I get a chance. So those will be up behind me here in a bit. I want to start though, uh, with actually the book and the concept of it, the mid range theory. Um, and, and, you know, you always hear death of the mid range has actually become like a cliche, right? And, and anytime somebody makes a mid range jumper, you hit, you get real hoopers Twitter telling you, I thought this shot was dead. I thought this and that. And so where did the, where did the concept of the book come from? So the, the, the title is an homage to Tripod Quest. Uh, mm-hmm. Low End Theory was one of my early, my, the, my, my early kind of favorite albums. And mm. Uh, back when Ian Levy and I were were starting Nylon Calculus, uh, the blog that the, the the name that I came up with that sort of finished second in the vote was uh, the Mid Range Theory, which would have nice. been a good name for an analytics blog, I think. But so yeah. I had that in my back pocket, and then when I was uh, writing a book, that sort of came out of there. Um, so the, the book itself is 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 more anthological. I, I kind of tackle a different topic each chapter, and the title chapter of the book, the Mid Range Theory, is talking about exactly that and the short thesis is that it's not just mid-range shots that have you know been cut way down by the rise in three-pointers shots at the rim have have largely stayed the same in terms of proportion uh, across the nba it's the the catch and shoot long two essentially the assisted long two that has mm-hmm. made way it is now the assisted three-pointer so kind of the the uh the art, the 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 mid-range art artistry of the star player, that basically still exists in basically mm-hmm. the same proportion. Uh, the the kind of the high usage star players on teams are taking unassisted twos at about the same rate they have, essentially since we have data on shot location, um, and they have the sufficient data to separate assisted and unassisted shots. Um, now, for a few players, for your Stephs, your Dames, Trey Youngs. 
uh, some of those kind of unassisted self-created shots have moved back beyond the arc. But for the bulk of your star players, they're still the Chris Paul, I'm going to get to my office at the at the elbow and raise up and lean back and hit it and stick a jumper over you. Mm-hmm. That still exists at the same like proportion today that it did 20 years ago. So it's it's not just that that three pointers have replaced mid range shots. It's the lesser players are standing in better places on the court where mm-hmm. they're shooting a pretty similar percentage. It's just worth a whole point more. Um, and so I sort of submit that that's not really from a from a basketball artistry standpoint. I have a hard time saying that that's something that's been lost. You know, in my mind's eye. That shot is Jerome Kersey taking a baseline 19 footer for the Trailblazers. Yeah. In, in, you know, in, in, you know, (laughs) Bulls versus Blazers, like from EA Sports or something like that. And, and my question has always been now that that same shot's a corner three pointer, have we lost anything from the game from that being there? Like we still have have more room to take it. Yeah. You know, and we, so we still have, you know, especially in like a close game playoff setting that, you know, that bucket getting mid range shot is still, as important and as primary for those top scores as it's always been. Yeah. I don't think it's going anywhere. I mean, so long as your star player can take a couple dribbles and jump 36 inches into the air and get a shot off on a defender who wasn't ready to stop and, and jump vertically mm-hmm. uh, quick enough to get up, get up and contest it. It's not going anywhere. It's just a matter of like how, like to me, I've always liked the mid-range jumper as kind of a counter, unless you're a great mid-range jump shooter, right? Kevin Where, Durant. You know, yeah, like if, if, yeah. if Kevin Durant gets you in the mid-range, he has you basically it as well because he's a great mid-range jump shooter. Whereas like I get kind of frustrated watching Anthony Davis because it kind of sets the tone for his offense, whereas I think he's better off really focusing on getting to the rim and then countering with the fadeaway jumper in the mid-range. And, and still though, like you're talking about the artistry of it, the approach to it is still just that. It's still Kevin Durant has a different approach to a mid-range jumper than Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis has a different approach to it than Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook has a different approach to it than he probably should. But that's a different story. <laughs> we'll get there. I have a we'll feeling get there we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely agree that I think it's become such a misnomer that it borders on on hilarity that that there's this this uh narrative out there that no the the death of the mid-range it's not it's 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 that the right players are taking them and the players who shouldn't necessarily be taking them are taking shots that make them more productive players anyway that that's certainly part of it and also the the other the other bit about that which i get into in the chapter is that that this is sort of something that's like, oh, the analytics, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, three greater than two had some influence on that. <laughs> but it's a yeah, but it's a, it's it's a fairly complex mix of a bunch of different things that happen. I mean, it's rule changes, it's it's uh strategic changes in the NBA. Like the the three-pointer is in many ways a direct response to like Tom Thibodeau's strong side overload defense. Like the math of that defense just changed when all instead of it being you know, your power forward taking a 19 footer at the end of it, it was a corner three that, that alters the math of what you have to do in that defense. Um, and it's also player skill sets. I mean, you, you think about when those rule changes were kicking in and I'm talking about the change to illegal defensive rules in 2001, uh, the kind of the freedom of movement and hand check rule changes of kind of the early two thousands, um, right around those time is also the time when kind of the first kind of generation of, of bigs who had been allowed to play facing the basket their whole lives. Your Kevin Garnett's, your Lamar Odoms, uh, th- those type of players who, you know, kind of changed the skill set of the, of especially kind of the power forward position in such that, you know, posting up, it was no longer kind of the thing anymore for a variety of reasons. And so all of these, these things combined to change kind of the geography of the floor somewhat. And it's not just, you know, the the empiricism of analysis of analytics and statistical analysis may have like accelerated the trend, but the trend was already happening before, mm-hmm. you know, before Sportview cameras, you know, it was right. Uh, well, the, the notion that a bunch of people who weren't necessarily directly involved with these teams were so far ahead of the teams themselves that we were talking about it before teams started implementing it is wild. Like it, 
it gives us too much credit. <laughs> I mean, it gives, it, it, frankly, it gives, it gives people who will work for teams now too much credit in terms of, oh, the analytics yeah. guy did that. See, no, <laughs> like, yeah. I, if, if, if I had that kind of power, let me tell you how different some things would look is, is, is kind of the common <laughs> response to that from any sort of analytics professional in the league. It's like, if I could do that, that's not what I would have done. I would have <laughs> right. So. Well, it's it's funny because yeah, you're right. Like the 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 power structure is such that like one of the things that I've really learned in my time, especially covering the Lakers, is that players, the way that they look at something like net rating, is completely different than the conversation about net rating. Right where where LeBron knows he get he gets the information. Hey, you were playing really really well with Marcus All, and he's like. Okay, but can I do that with Andre Drummond, who's more talented at this stage of his career than Marcus All? With that, with like kind of sort of, for lack of a better term, disregarding the concept of net rating, where where players think of it like, well, just give me the guys with the skill sets, like give me the guys with the the, the hoopers, right? And 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 it's not so it's not so cut and dry as like, well, here's the net rating. We need to do the thing that gets us the best net rating. It's not that easy of a communication cycle. That's basically from what I've heard. And that's actually kind of what I want to ask you about. Like you have on-hand experience with that. How did those conversations go when the numbers were saying one thing and then the players were saying like, well, okay, but. Well, first of all, I don't, basketball is a game where I'm not sure that that the players really need to have that detail of, mm -hmm. of numbers. Like the game is so fast that the number of the, the the proportion of players who can kind of engage conscious thought about statistics and still yeah. play at NBA speed. I mean, you're basically Ooh, this talking about Shane, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah, you're basically talking about Shane Battier, like yeah, for the most part. Um, and and there's probably a few other players who can who can who can legitimately calculate intellectually on the floor, but that's you know, you there there's a there's a filter and a funnel where this information goes through where um you know the the analytically indicated thing is only one sort of piece of what the 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 coaching staff is trying to implement and so that's where kind of the interfacing with the coaches who then okay how do we okay this is the outcome we want how do we put our our players in the position so that they can produce that outcome and that's both in terms of changing their habits and you know that's sort of there's a little bit of lie, cheat, and steal to that. Um, mm -hmm. I, a, a friend of mine who's a college coach, and I think I mentioned this in the book, um, it talks about how, you know, when they're talking, the, co the coaches on their staff are talking amongst themselves, like they use the numbers as sort of like word of God kind of stuff. These are the things we care about, and we don't deviate from that. When they're trying to coach a player, anything they can use as bad a stat as it is to encourage the behavior they want to encourage is is sort of any just throw it at them so there's so it's both changing player behavior in situations but also putting players in situations so that they are kind of their tendencies that have developed and they've been successful with over their lifetime of playing basketball will lead them to do the right thing i mean you know you uh Makes sense. If, if if a player likes to take jab step jumpers um Get him the ball at the at the arc where his jab step jumper is a three pointer instead of at 19 feet where it's a two point. Assuming he can, you know, make those shots at relatively even even clips. Like that's mm -hmm. that's kind of a simple one. Like you you design your offense so that the thing the player does is is kind of the thing that is long term most beneficial to the team. Mm -hmm. So that's is that something I I ever directly communicated to a player? No, and and I you know and I think that that's pretty rare. Um, maybe there, you know, there are three teams in the NBA that have, uh, people with like legitimate, I would say like coding skill level analytics people on their coaching staff. And that's, you know, Washington with Dean Oliver, who's kind of the OG, um, mm -hmm. that's, uh, uh, Sergio Oliva in, in, uh, Utah, who used to be the head of analytics for the Sixers and it's Eric Corey in Toronto, who was on the, the analytics staff there before moving to kind of the bench for the 905 and is now with the, with the Raptors themselves. So that in those situations, that's someone who's like fully immersed in kind of the, the scheme and the goals and everything the coaches want to do, and then can maybe bring some of the, the metrics to bear on that and use it in a way that that fits in with what everyone's trying to do 
trying to go directly to a player from like a front office position <laughs> of here's what we found. That's like yeah. short circuiting stuff. And I don't think that, I don't think it works that way, yes. both from a like, what a player can execute way, but also just from a, from a, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a flow of information sort of standpoint. So, you know, this is something that, that comes up in a lot of sports where players asked by a stat and the players like, I don't give a shit about that. Like, well, you, you shouldn't like, I don't, there's <laughs> right. no reason for you to, to have to worry about that. Like that's, that's you worry about playing basketball and we'll worry about, you know, coaching you to do the things that lead to the better outcomes, not asking you about like these sort of outcome of a complex process that, that you're not really paying attention to. Yeah. You can't, you can't retrofit offense. Like that's not, that's not how that works in a, in a, in a sport that has so much motion and and rhythm to it. Right. Like, and, and that's, you know, if I, if I can continue to filibuster a little bit, yeah. That's that's a little bit one of those things where um, almost the the three pointer is um, misunderstood because it's 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 often assumed oh you're you try you want to go run good offense just take a bunch of three pointers that's get shots at the rim that's all people want to do it's like well yeah you always want to get like the best shots possible but those are results yeah. those are results of whether the shot goes in or not, those are the results of you doing something good on offense that lets someone get to the rim or puts someone in a position where they can, you know, a reasonable shooter who catches the ball with enough time and space to feel like he's open enough to shoot. NBA players are, are pretty good at making, making that decision correctly. Like I'm, if I'm open enough to shoot, you'll know because I shot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's really so rare that uh, an NBA player can just like be taught, Hey, that's a shot you have to take no matter what. That's not how, yeah. that's not how the human no, body works. Like, that's not how it works. And like, again, these guys are NBA players because they have made those decisions very well their entire life. So, yeah. and of course there's, there's a coaching element of that also because, you know, you take shots that are bad and you tend to play less unless you're, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain level of, Either certain level of skill or certain level of Trust stature. Wow, yeah. we're, we're and, coughing. Yeah, we're, I don't know. We're just we're dancing things. around that, and we'll still get there. <laughs> hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I, I last thing before we move on to the Lakers and the Bucks specifically, uh, you 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 worked with the Bucks, and and obviously heading into it, everybody has their notions of what a job is going to be and how things are going to how. What was the most different? heading into it or, or, or in terms of experience, what experience was the most different from your anticipation heading in? Um, it's sort of something you, you can, you can understand from the outside, but not, you, you don't really can't really internalize it until you're there mm-hmm. is um, how much more complicated these decisions are mm-hmm. when you have the additional information that a team has. The analogy I like to use is from the outside, like we're looking at these things and they're, they're two dimensional decisions. And then you, you get in and sort of add, I don't know, you might call it the people, which is like the, you know, the, the interpersonal relationships between players and coaches and uh, you know, sort of the, if you're a player from outside your team, kind of the background and intelligence on them, the medical, all of those other things, um, uh, you know, kind of that, that turns a two dimensional discussion into a three dimensional one. Mm-hmm. And that just adds just, you know, you know, that, that, that exponentially increases the complexity. Now, the problem is, is a lot of that information kind of doesn't matter, like yeah. to, to whether a decision, whether a player will work or not, but picking out the parts that do and don't matter is <laughs> incredibly difficult. And so you, you see these decisions from the outside and it's like, oh, I don't understand. It's like, you know, there's a reason that decision got made. It may not be a good reason. They may have misevaluated something but they had information at their disposal that led them to decide something. It wasn't just, um, whim. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's something, you know, from the outside, but when you experience it and you kind of, you know, so many of those things can lead you to second guess yourself. And sometimes like a medical report on a guy matters and sometimes he's fine. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, sometimes, uh, a player gets a certain reputation from a background standpoint and then you uh then you know you get him and he's fine like mm-hmm. um i've 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 said that like uh in terms of the players who passed through the box while i was there my favorite person was michael beasley mm. <laughs> uh and, yeah. uh and and you know that I, because he was 
he was funny and, engaging, funny and engaging and intelligent. And, you know, the younger players in the team respected him and he had a lot of wisdom to impart based on kind of his, his sort of path from, from top player and on through, but like, that's not something you would have ever thought going in. Right. Yeah. Just based on reputation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so stuff like that is, is I think so much more of a factor and, and kind of a confusing factor than you can necessarily um, glom onto from the outside. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. All right, let's uh, let's segue awkwardly over to uh, the Lakers and the Bucks who play tonight. So we're recording this about noon my time, and uh, game hasn't happened yet, obviously. So we'll see how things play out there. But you know the 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 conversation about Russell Westbrook and the conversation about the Lakers and. And especially in, and specifically about the direction that the Lakers could have gone in versus the direction that they opted for, right? Where they could have gone and traded for Buddy Heald. And it was the more or kind of perhaps tampered for DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> you know what? The the only the only thing that the the league needs to do, I think, is they need to step in and really punish the Lakers and rescind the Russell Westbrook trade. I think it's just the it's the fairest thing that <laughs> that can be done here in that, my that, that would sort of close this close the loop on the Chris Paul trade, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Protect the Lakers from themselves. Um but I'm kind of curious. So, you know, obviously you look at things through your prism. I look at things through through mine as well. I think you and I were are, are both mostly in aligned. I was really pro the Buddy Heel trade. It was less that they were going to have to give up. He's a player that seems specifically tailored for LeBron and Anthony Davis's games. Uh, and, and, you know, he's just basically like buddy heels, the back of his Jersey basically reads not Russell Westbrook. And, and, you know, we've seen the Lakers now, a lot of it has to do with injury. It was always going to take a lot of work to get everybody on the same page. Russell Westbrook historically starts. slow. all of that stuff is, is, is important contextually, but, when when that day went down the way that it did, where the Lakers looked like they traded for for Heald and then didn't, and then traded instead for for Russell Westbrook, how did you put me in the room with you as that was going on? Uh, just from like how you look at how how the game is played and what you think maybe was better for the Lakers, or if you think Russell Westbrook was was better for the Lakers, and and, and if so, why? So short version, no. Um, some of that is. <laughs> Some of that is pure basketball, and, and some of it is, is sort of the opportunity cost. Just because yeah. uh, Westbrook's contract is so large that they had to give up Caruso. Well, not just Caruso; they had to give up, you know, Kuzma yeah. and, and everyone else that that, that yeah, and, yeah. and everyone else that got sent to the Wizards just to sort of facilitate the salary portion of that deal. Um, and yes, it probably ultimately cost them some uh, Alex Caruso as well. Um, so from that standpoint, it's it, it's problematic. But also just from a basketball standpoint, um, what's wrong with LeBron, AD, and defend, defense, defense and shooters? That seems yeah. like a good formula. And <laughs> it won them a title. <laughs> that's, you know, um, you know, maybe there's a difference of opinion on Russell Westbrook's defense. I think that's... Um, I don't think especially highly of it. He, he comes up with, with some steals and, and things of that nature, but he's not someone you could describe as solid mm -hmm. defensively and certainly not a shooter. No. So that's almost the opposite of, of, of what you need. And again, it's not just Caruso, but the opportunity cost. You look at everyone else on the Lakers roster and like, yeah, they made some decent gambles on sort of minimum salary type signings mm -hmm. but there's a reason these are gambles on minimum salary type signings and yeah. you know they've gotten like carmelo has been like the wildest oh. dreams could not have been this good mm -hmm. but overall would you say that like the retooling of the roster around ad and and lebron has has been remotely successful i, I don't think you can yeah right? I, I think it's it basically all of the guys that they got are the types of players you have to make a choice on where, all right, do we need offense or do we need defense here? Do we need there? There is no role player on the Lakers right now that you can throw in there regardless of the situation, you know, and maybe a reason becomes that, but at this stage of his career, probably not. They were hoping Kent Bazemore would be that, but <laughs> woof. And, and, and they were hoping that maybe Kendrick Nunn would be that. And that's why he's not a minimum player and he's making the, the, the five mil that he's making or so. And we haven't seen that yet. 
Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker might be that player. And so far of the non LeBron and AD guys, the two games he's played, he's, he's looked pretty good, but he's 20 years old. <laughs> and if he's your, if he's your two way uh, role player, then, then that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you think about that. Okay. Those two guys could work out, but still that's like your two way, your, your chief two way role players are Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker. And, yeah. you know, I, I like Horton Tucker's potential. Um, I've, I'm not as big a fan of, of none, but I think he could be a useful player for them for certain. But if that's like, if that's your, like your big, you know, your ace in the hole kind of thing, it's like, we seem like we're a little, we're a little light here. We're a little short. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and that's the worry. And I, it seems very much like a, a, a kind of a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what made the team two years ago. Absolutely. Good. And the other part of it was there's like like frankly there was kind of a, an edge, kind of an, a, a, a nastiness almost to that team, especially in the bubble. Like they they were the team that that seemed like they took almost as much advantage of like the 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 sort of uh, environment of the bubble to be intimidating from the bench as anybody. Yeah, and they don't you know they don't really have that. I mean you know is Dwight's just runs into people. He's not really he's not that kind of intimidating player just because he's like, yeah. he fouls you and then they call a foul. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so that, that's sort of been lost too. whether yeah. it was, you know, whether it was, you know, having, having the legal uh, physicality, <laughs> yeah, the borderline physicality, shall yeah. we say the, the, <laughs> Yeah. And that's, so that's sort of been lost as well. So I don't, I, it didn't, there was no point at which this off season made any sense to me at all from the Lakers, aside from the fact that I think, you know, uh, for, for picking up guys in the minimum, they did pretty well. The problem is how much they had to get from guys they picked up in the minimum. Well, it's also the guys that they got on the minimum made sense in vacuums. But if you spend five mil on Kendrick Nunn, do you need to also go out and sign Malik Monk? And if you if you spend 13 or 12 or $13 million on Taylor Horton, Taylor Horton Tucker, do you need either Nunn? Or monk, <laughs> it, it, it basically roughly the same position. So yeah, I, I, it's been it's been it was an it was an off season that I didn't particularly like, and then and then uh, I'm a homer, so I convince you I convince myself eventually like oh maybe it can kind of sort of work, and then you get to the season and you see the things that the Warriors doing. Warriors Nets last night was enlightening. It was like wow the, the Lakers and basically the league has a long way to go. If they're going to compete with that Warriors team, which, by the way, is going to get Clay Thompson back at some point, it's kind of it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, the, you know the I'm not quite ready to crown the Warriors th- this year yet. Um, just I think they, you know, people have talked about they've they've played a little bit of a soft schedule early, definitely. But man, they've been impressive. Yeah. Um, I like I uh, like the 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 game that they the third quarter of the game they played. I think it was last weekend that they played against the Bulls was. Um, I like the, the analogy I made to it was that was the defensive equivalent of like the 2014 Spurs in the playoffs on mm-hmm. offense. Like it yeah. was, it was five guys in unison, just didn't, taking away everything. It was, and, and then you, okay, that and Steph, you know, and, 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 and you know, you, yeah. from a, from a 10,000 foot view, that's not terribly different than the 2020 20, 20 championship Lakers model. Right. Yeah. It's like, Stifling defense and trend, and one or two transcendent talents, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like the guys the Warriors have around that it helps that Draymond is playing at an all deep uh, like a defensive player of the year level, mm-hmm. certainly. But you know everyone else around them is has is also keying into just an extremely solid defense, um, and that's a that's a pretty good basis to start from when you have you know one of those a one superstar players, which you know. Steph pretty clearly is right now. <laughs> he's he's insane. He he's somebody that you know, like one of the things I think I was most wrong on, and this was pre like I was actually doing this as a career, so I'm not I'm not counting it in my career, but but I was I, I thought Russ was a better player than Steph for for a good little good little while. Um just because of like everything Russ can do physically and and I thought eventually it would it would parlay itself into more defensive prowess. He just for whatever reason, didn't. Um, what's going on with Milwaukee though? They're they're sitting at six and eight. Uh, have have injuries. Obviously, Dante and Chris Middleton 
And, you know, both of these teams just kind of like limping into this game. It's kind of a bummer because it's a fun matchup if everybody is healthy. But, but you know, have you seen anything beyond just the injuries here with Milwaukee? I mean, the, I mean that's that's a big part of it. There's there's there does seem to be a little bit of sort of a championship hangover. Like the uh, Eric name, the the Bucks writer for the Athletic, and I have kind of termed it there. They've kind of hit the sim to January button, and and some <laughs> yeah. of that is injury related. Like they haven't had their team on the floor at any point this season, really. Mm-hmm. Like they're you know it's it's they're they're they've they frankly kind of been a slog to watch um, because it's just like you know you take for a lot of the season they've basically had if you projected their seven man, the top seven man playoff rotation, they've been playing with maybe two of them in any given game, you yeah. know? And so it's just like, this isn't their team. And now, you know, uh, true holidays back and rounding back into form. So that'll help. Mm-hmm. But still they Brooke Lopez, who is like, I think we're seeing how utterly essential he is to them. Yeah. Uh, has, 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 you know, has barely played this season. And, so what to take from their sort of mediocre defense with him out? Uh, well, the thing you take from him is like, as a you know older enormous human being with a back problem, you do worry about that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, assuming he comes back and is able to be you know mostly himself, we, we have no idea what this team is going to look like just because we haven't seen them at all this year. Yeah. So I think that like um, we've kind of I think there's sort of a different level of angst between the two teams and one yeah. of that is one of them is 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 the defending champion the other isn't but also one of them is we've sort of seen what the lakers look like sort of close to full strength and it's kind of like ooh, and mm-hmm. that's i think that's largely like ooh, this this rust thing is maybe a problem mm-hmm. whereas the box is just like it would well we haven't seen them do anything so no one's really even though they've been mediocre and lost to some bad teams no one is really worried because you can't win the title in November. Right. Right. And and like, you know, I'm sure there are Laker fans listening right now who are saying like, well, wait, hold on. The Lakers haven't been healthy. There's a difference when you're missing a 36 year old Trevor Ariza versus Brooke Lopez. And versus Drew four starters. Game. yeah, like, like <laughs> the, the Bucks have like uh, the, the Bucks like projected starting lineup is Brooke Lopez, Giannis and Nicombo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo. There's been stretches of games where Giannis has been the only one that played. Yeah. And, you know, okay, Grayson Allen has given them probably about as much or more than you could have expected from DiVincenzo. So maybe that makes up for a little bit, but it's still like. But then you would have Dante and young Ted Cruz. Right. (laughs) You know, ideally that's how that plays out. Um, All right. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't give you this quote, not because again you were there in the in in the Bucks front office and and Giannis had those quotes from the other day about like you know my next challenge and all of these things. How does like if you're sitting there in the front office, you're you're there with you with the inner circle and all of that, and you get that quote that lands on your guys' lap. How does that go down? Like does does everybody just kind of like roll their eyes? Is it more of like a oh great awesome this is what we're gonna have to deal with for for a month, or or does it just kind of roll off of water off of a duck's feather kind of thing um well i think that that you know having not asked anyone there about this this is you know me purely speculating projection so so don't aggregate me kind of thing (laughs) but (laughs) but, uh no i think that the 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 reaction to that is much different uh the season after title than it would have been the same quote given Mm. last year at this time um that said also like um Giannis is a guy who is probably less guarded with his quotes than mm-hmm. most players of his stature. Oh, absolutely. He even says that, I think, in yeah. the quote. He said, I'm yeah. always honest. I'm always, yeah. I'm never. So, like, you know, it's like realistically, like, yeah, that's how, that's how anyone feels. It's like, you know, right now this is good. In a couple of years, I might feel differently. Like, that's not, yeah. Like, I, I like my job right now. Things could change. Mm-hmm. Like, who doesn't say that? Yeah, for people who don't like their jobs right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, so that's the, but at the same time, it's one of those things that yeah, you're gonna have to deal with, and it's gonna be blah blah blah. But sort of, it's it's a little easier to take right now than it would have been uh, last year. But yeah. I think if I think if if Giannis was a different personality, I think he would probably be a bigger deal internally than it is. And I'm not, and again, it's one of those things like. I wish he hadn't said that because we're gonna have to deal with this bullshit for mm-hmm. you know you know and it, but it's I'm not sure. it's not the same it's not the same level 
as it was when ESPN was trying to trade him everywhere on, <laughs> on every studio show and broadcast yeah. for two years. So it's just, you know, it's, it's not the same level of, of, uh, of, of panic. It's like panic level three, not nine. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It makes, I, you know, I, I, that's that was basically my takeaway from it too. It was like, it's somebody who's saying that, you know, things are cool now and then, Two years from now, yeah. things can be different. No, I, 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 two I years ago, to, I was still in California. Yeah. No, no, to give to give an example of, of that, like you know, of, of uh, another example of kind of Giannis. So it's not just I'm I'm throwing that in the vacuum. Like last year during the playoffs, like Eric name uh, mm-hmm. asked Giannis in the pressers, like it, I think it was it was something about when they were about to play the Nets. Yeah, he said, you know, for a lot of players of your defensive reputation, the one the one thing you maybe kind of struggle is guarding like isolation scorers like KD, and you know. I would think most superstar players would bristle at the, uh, yeah, at the, the, and, and, and you have a really like, cool relationship. Him and no, they, they, they have, they have, they, part of that is they have a really good relationship, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a fair point and a good question. And then he like answered and he answered in a way. So like, I still think I'm better at that than, than, you know, anyone else who plays the way I play. And like, okay, that's fair. But the, but the fact that he's willing to even like, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, I think that's, that's an illustration of sort of what I mean by him being less sort of, brand aware if, if brand i was gonna say brand conscious if that's the right yeah. way to put it but it's it's so you know he you know he he says things that are a bit more unguarded than anyone else so it's it's not like uh if he's like no i want out like he's more that like no that's like this is yeah. not working anymore well, I, I would also imagine, you know, if he's that kind of honest publicly, then privately he'd say the same thing if he was sitting in, in, in a room with anybody who was asking that question there as well, right? We're like, all right, that's what you said to J, to GQ. Um, we aren't GQ, but we are your employer. <laughs> where, where are we at right now? And I'm sure he would give a very similar response of like, yeah, that was great. We won a championship. Everything is cool now. I love the city, blah, blah, blah. But also things change and years down the road. You know, I would like to keep winning championships and I would like you to keep putting players around me that allows me. That's to also a big part of it. Absolutely. Like, that's like, and that's I like, and I don't think that there's anything like illegitimate about that kind of expressing that kind of desire. Like, Hey, yeah. good job putting a championship team around me last year. Let's keep a championship team around me. <laughs> Let's so I want to keep playing here. Yeah. Cause especially, especially following an off season, by the way, that like, you know, PJ Tucker is no longer with the box. Right. You know, like I would I, imagine, you know, he's just, Hey, I, th- let's, I thought let's that was perfectly to... defensible to be honest. I thought I, I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I did not just, dis- I, I liked Milwaukee's off season, frankly. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that, well, you know, I, I mean it more from the standpoint of like if he took issue with yeah. with PJ not being there, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying this is him like applying pressure because of it, but it's yeah. like, hey, you know, this is somebody who was important in our championship run. He's no longer with us. Let's let's continue that that ball rolling and really stay focused on sure. on winning championship number two and number three and whatever. Yeah, it's and, and I think you can you know it's the kind of thing where if you have the good like in general you have a good relationship with the player or the agent you can kind of say hey look the decision is either we keep PJ Tucker or we keep Bobby Portis bring in George Hill and Grayson Allen we mm-hmm. think that we think that is gives us is better for us both short and long term mm-hmm. and you know I think you it, that part of the the front office job is sort of managing that relationship by by saying hey you know yeah you know mechanically it's almost it's, it would have been impossible for us to bring everybody back and add you know bring back george hill and bring in grace allen for you know dante DiVincenzo insurance and also you know frankly a another kind of uh a, a forward-looking upside piece for a team that is kind of you know bereft of those having you know dealt most of those to you know bring in drew holiday which mm-hmm. obviously worked out so i like that part of that that's sort of an underappreciated at times portion of a of a front office's job and to circle that back around to the lakers um i think that that it has certainly been suggested and um i don't have any inside information on this one way or the other mm-hmm. but it certainly appears to me that like if you sort of seed who who do you want to play with not what kinds of players do you want to play with then you yeah. kind of get some of the things that maybe the Lakers had this summer where they Absolutely. they kind of chase names a little bit more than they chase players and skill sets. Yeah. I think no, that's I, I think that's a fair interpretation of their offseason. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think, so basically from how I know it to be, or, or, you know, from little I know in terms of inside information about the Lakers, uh, it's basically like, you know, LeBron gives Palinka a list of players and then Palinka tries to execute on that list. And like you're saying, I think where it would be better served is like, if LeBron gave Palinka a set of skill sets, you know, like, Hey, we didn't have this kind of player last year. We didn't have this kind of player last year. And, and, and this is like a variety of players that we necessarily, you know, we could maybe upgrade from the kind of player that we did have last year, but maybe could have been a little bit better. Um, you know, that would be more productive than like a grocery list of, of NBA players, because then you walk into a situation where like, Technically, Rapalinka probably did his job, right? Uh, LeBron said, "Hey, I, I want Kendrick Nunn, and I want Malik Monk, and I want this." And it's like, okay, yeah, here, here you go. There's, I, I went to the store and I brought back these guys, but we're missing bread, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we're missing pickles. Like we, we, we were, we're, we're kind of lacking on some uh, other important parts of this. This is this is sort of related, and we've we've the NBA's thankfully gotten away from the the coach. GM dual role, Man, thankfully. Yeah. And this is, I think this is of a piece with that. Like you can, you can like LeBron is a basketball genius. He can identify the the stuff that he wants to work with, that he thinks will build a good team around him. But he, there's no way that he is, he is scouting know, conversant in all 450 players in the league and the right. top hundred college players and the top 50 players. I'm in glad Europe you brought this up to, to, you know, who is the, who is the best player to fill this role in the budgetary budgetary area that we have? Like, like he can't know that. Yeah. So, and that's why, like, you, that's why fixing on the specific guy instead of this type of guy is it puts you in a situation where you're you're maybe you're maybe making making a mistake. Um, it's it's uh, that that holistic evaluation is something that that you know just by virtue of their sort of field of view players and coaches are less well situated to do than the people who don't aren't as focused on the day to day. Yeah. There's still only 24 hours in a day and LeBron has to spend a significant amount of that, tw those 24 hours focused on his body and getting ready to play basketball on those things. And, and, and by the way, like it would be ill served. He'd be time poorly used if he used any of those 24 hours to go scout, you know, <laughs> Marcelo Huerta's minutes or something stupid like that. Like it was just, it would, that, that's not what I want LeBron doing. Name some <laughs> guys. <laughs> like that's, you know, it, I, I kind of chuckled it because he said, you know, I, I watched film on Austin Reeves. I was like, no, you didn't. Like, stop, you know, I hope you didn't because if you did, that means that you're studying 73 other Austin Reeves because there are 73 other Austin Reeves out there. And I need you focused on like, you know, getting healthy and getting ready for an NBA season. That's, that's, that's not your job. He, by the way, he was, he was a nice pickup for them. He was a play, he was a player. Oh, sure. He was, he was a player that I, that I kind of liked in, mm -hmm. in, in this year's draft class. And I thought that, you know, that's the kind of like smart little thing at the margin where if you're, again, if you're looking for a type of player, you can, all right, there's, you say there's, there's, there's 12 of those guys, which one do we think is the best? Mm -hmm. you, like you, that's, that's the kind of thing you can do if you have, that sort of freedom to uh, to to work at it that way. Yeah. All right. Uh, last thing before we get you out of here, this is what we do with all of the ends of of my shows. Uh, my most embarrassing sports moment is on tape, and Harrison tweets it out every chance that he got. I think he tweeted out two games ago when he was saying the Lakers are thin, and here's your starting point guard, and here's my my awfulness layup out there in Vegas. So, do you have a uh, do you have an embarrassing sports moment that you can? that you can identify uh, from, from your playing career? Mm, man, that's, that, that's a good one. Um, from, from, I think I would actually have to go uh, the most embarrassing. Um, there was a time I got tip dunked on in a, in a, in a college game by a 5'11 kid, which oh, man. It, was, it wasn't my guy, but he tip dunked on essentially our whole team um, and yelled and, um, I kind of lost my mind and took several bad shots immediately after. Um, <laughs> is that uh, the kind of spot? Because you're a big, right? So do you turn no, around. And you like no, no. I, no I was, I was, I, I was a, I was a, I was a undersized two. 
in that. Oh, oh, for, I'm, only, I'm only about six foot. So I was. Oh, like, I, I thought I had you as, as a little bit taller for yeah. some reason. Hmm. Um, well, then that's um, not but, your fault. Like, no, but the, that's probably the most embarrassing was actually when I played, I played hockey as a youth and mm. grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, Scott Gomez, who's uh, you know, a many time all star NBA player, so mm-hmm. was the best youth player in Anchorage at the time, was a couple years younger, probably three years younger than me. And he was in a, in a, he was playing up several years because he was just better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he hit me so hard. He was just a little guy too. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he, he hit me so hard in a, in a summer league game. And it was one of those situations where I like looked down at the puck for a second while I was skating and uh-huh. he stopped and planted like both hands in my chest Oh no! and my <laughs> chest stopped moving and my feet didn't. And so I swung up in the air and slammed down on the ice, like right on my butt and bruised my butt really bad and was, and both, you know, both it, it actually hurt. And also my pride was severely. Yeah. Bruised. So that, um, that like in terms of things that stick with me as embarrassing athletic things, that's probably the one. How long has it been since that hit? What do you think? Who boy. 20 plus um, years. 20. Yeah. More than 25. I think. Yeah. And that was 25. like, and that, that was frankly like, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, I don't think I like hockey that much anymore. And I'll, I'll, I'll devote, I'll, I'll spend all my time playing basketball now. And yeah, there, was, you're not allowed was, to do that in basketball. Yeah, that was, well, yeah, it happens sometimes. But yeah, no, that yeah. was, uh, that was, that was the moment. It's like, mm, that, that hurt. I don't like this. <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate you giving those stories. I, it, it's, it's something I, I never quite know with a guest, like how that's going to go. I just, you know, throw it out there and we'll see how it goes. And if they hate me and never want to come on again. Then this is the last time I'm talking to you, Seth, and congratulations on the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I want you guys to check out The Midrange Theory. It is out everywhere that you get books now. But like I said earlier, the best place to get it is directly from Triumph Books. That link is going to be in the in the show description here. It is also going to be on the post that I write for Silver Screen and Roll about this show. Uh, also check out his stuff at The Athletic. Um, make sure, uh, Seth, when I, when I get you out of here, give Dave uh as 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 much a hard time as possible he's he's way too high on himself constantly so yeah he's actually coming up next week for he's he's coming up for thanksgiving so i'll i'll have plenty of uh (laughs) i'll plenty of opportunity to to give give him some uh some some crap for you awesome well thank you very much for hopping on man i I greatly appreciate it and i uh, i look forward to talking to you soon yeah thanks a lot for having me